G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. Today, I'm going into the best and worst price performers of 2022. It's going to be a really exciting episode because not only do I love getting into the data, I love trying to make it usable and understandable for you. And I think when we go deeper, you're really going to see what sort of growth has occurred and where this year, get a feel for why the top-level Perth median house price can be very deceiving, especially if you're an East Coast investor and you don't know what's happening on the ground here. And I'm also going to go into what sort of rental yields are on offer across the Perth market and where to go if you are chasing a rental yield. And of course, I'm going to give you my advice around how to use median price data, where it can be distorted, and how I folded in, I guess, to my trifecta criteria to select an individual property. So lots to cover. Going to be great. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. I'm sure you see the various news headlines with growth rates quoted in the change in median house price, and they're blindly quoted. And there's no real thought given often by the journalists to what they actually mean. It's even worse when investors over east are interpreting, you know, where to look to buy, grabbing these top level changes in the median house price they see that perth's gone from 525k median a year ago to 539 now oh it hasn't done much it's only done 2.6% capital growth well it's easy to see how these top level stats can be deceiving especially when we look deeper at the changes that are occurring for each suburb underneath and it can give us a much better idea when we look at the individual suburb median house price changes as to what's happening in the market and what sort of price segments are growing or staying the same or going backwards. And it really drums home to us that there's no one market of Perth, but hundreds of individual suburb markets, whereby some of them are growing better than others, some of them are staying stagnant, and some of them may be going backwards. So What is the median price to take a step back? It's the price that half the properties have sold above for and half have sold below for at any one time. And where can we find this median price data? Well, Rewa website is my favorite source. You can also subscribe to CoreLogic, which is pretty expensive. CoreLogic also has various free reports and other things you can get at a suburb level. There's other, the real estate portals are got median house price data on and historical data on. So these are places, but because it's so readily available, it can so readily be used, I guess, to misguide the public, which is the other side of the coin. Now, how can the median price be distorted? If there's a whole bunch of new housing created in an area, it can push the median price up because we've got the brand new houses selling alongside older existing ones. If more premium properties have been selling in a suburb, that can push the median price up. And there also can be 
distortion whereby renovated and in properties that have been extended can be getting resold. More of those, especially especially when you know some of the the western suburbs are always continuously improving. Hand on chest, that can also distort the median price because we've got a more substantial home that's had you know five hundred grand to a million dollars put into it, then selling, changing it from a three by one to a four by two. So that distorts the median and. It's also worth looking deeper to see what sort of sales volume has there been in the suburb. Has there been at least 50 sales for the year, which is sort of my benchmark point. You can start to go lower in sales, but then the reliability of the median house price and comparing that with a year ago starts to get a bit shaky and starts can be distorted. So I tend to cut off and look at just those suburbs that have had at least 50 sales, that gives me more confidence that it's a decent enough sample size. Now, these factors and others will determine how closely the median house price or the unit price reflects the typical price range in that area. And how can we use this median price data? I guess it's, as we know, it's readily available for suburbs and regions and overall cities. And what I do know is that changes to the median price should not be 100% relied upon when you're looking at shorter periods of time. So as mentioned in the past, I tend to steer away from looking at quarterly and I take that with a real grain of salt. Even yearly can be suspect. You certainly can't take that as a given that your property in that suburb's grown by the same as the median which is why I prefer to look at longer time periods and the trend over as much time as I can get reliable data for. And that's why I had Commission Rewa to produce special study and report reports for me that has over 30 years of median price data changes. And I base a lot of our um, suburb selection on that as a starting point. So We've also got our buyer's info pack. Check out our website, investorsedge.com.au slash invest, where we use this in part to formulate our suburb suggestions. Now, a lot of investors can get caught up in looking at these median house price changes, chasing where they're seeing the big different you know, changes, the big growth rates, and specifically buying into those suburbs that you know have performed really well over the last five years. But the downside of that is that will the growth continue? And by doing this, you can be pretty sure that the suburb's hot, but for how much longer will that growth continue? And just because it's performed over five years, has it actually performed well over 30 years? Got to give thought to that. So I'd suggest not to just go straight blindly chasing the higher increases in median house price either. Now, one of the other concepts is mean reversion, and that's where a suburb, if it hasn't performed very well in the last five or 10 years compared to its 30-year or 40-year historical growth rates, it's more likely to see it come back in line and because Compared to the other suburbs around it, it's going to start to appear undervalued. So buyers are going to move in. It's going to start pushing the price up. Demand will exceed supply. And then it'll catch up to be more in line with its historical growth rate. So that's where mean reversion can be used to find those suburbs that the last 
five or 10 years has been out of whack with a 30-year or 40-year data if you've got it. And the underlying fundamentals are still strong and buyers are going to wake up to the value. If you uh, start seeing the trends going the right way then and get in earlier in the growth cycle and it's still relatively undervalued, then that can be another great way to use median price data. Now, I touched on the relative value and ripple effect there. You can look at the median prices of the suburbs around your given suburb that you're focusing on, see if the suburb that you're looking at represents relative value. And often when people get priced out of suburbs, the buyers move on to the next ones. It ripples through the market and growth starts in the upper end and moves out down to where next represents value for people. And I want to start getting a painting a bit of a picture for you as to what's happened in the actual suburbs and where has our growth been over the last year. So looking at the top 15 suburbs change in median house price, I've filtered out all the suburbs that haven't had at least 50 sales. Sitting at number 15, we've got Silver Sands down in Mandraway, then got Mullaloo, which is at 950k. Silver Sands is at 537. Waikiki at 435, been very popular with investors. Edgewater at 670, been popular with migrant families at number 12. We go further down the list, we've got Burragoon, Atterdale, Safety Bay, Hammersley sitting at number eight, and Gwalup, then Winthrop, Mount Claremont was number five. That's at a 1.75 million median house price and has had 20-odd percent change in growth over the last year. Silver Sands, that was down at number 15, had 18% growth over the last year. Then the top four are Subiaco with 21% change in median house price growth over the last year. North Perth with 23%, Mount Hawthorne with 26%, and Iluka with 27%. Now, when we look through these 15 made a number of observations. There's actually sort of three distinct bands of price. There's the 450 to 650, okay, and they're mainly located far south coast, areas like Rockingham and Mandra. So predominantly that's where the growth has been for those sort of price points. We then look up, you can just imagine the first home buyers sort of getting in there as well at that sort of price. You then look at the 1 to 1.15 million, and we're dealing mainly with the North Coast and some the inner areas like North Perth, Mount Hawthorne um, that have done very well. And the co- North Coastal areas like the Mullaloo, the Aluka that have done very well as well. And then when we get to 1.5, 1.7, we're dealing with the Western suburbs predominantly there. So we've got Mount Claremont, we've got Adderdale and those, oh, we've got Subiaco that's had a bit of a run back and a bit of a resurgence and it's having its comeback. So interesting there that there's uh, now that the stadium's gone and the, the public school is doing exceptionally well, Bob Hawke in there, it's breathing new life into the suburb. And there's a little story behind each of these. And when you go deeper, you can start to understand that story. But certainly a solid top 15 that have done between 18% and 27% growth. Now let's break down where the where the growth has been and what sort of how many suburbs have grown at what sort of levels because this is where 
you start to get a feel for what's happening under the hood. This is where the median house price that's showing only 2.6% growth, that really gets shown up to be, you know, nowhere near where the majority of suburbs have grown over the last year. So there's only just four suburbs that have done between zero and minus 5%. We'll touch on what those ones have been in a minute, but there's been 27 suburbs that have done between zero and 5% growth. And those suburbs are mainly between 450 and 550k when I actually look through and see what makes up most of the suburbs, what, what the median house price are. Then we've got 82 suburbs that have done between 5 and 10%, and they're mainly between 450 and 650k. 76 suburbs that have done 10 to 15%, and they're mainly priced between 600 to 800. Then 36 suburbs that have done 15 to 20%, and they're priced between 800 and a mil. You can start, you can see here that as you move up in price, the growth rates have been better on average over the last year. And there's those five suburbs that have done 20% or more, each were priced between 1.15 and 1.75 million. So very clear that our top end of the market has still been the main suburbs that have grown the most. And what was notable as well, this is out of 230 suburbs that have had 50 or more sales and four, there's 403 total Perth suburbs that have had much lesser sales without reliable statistics. So of the 230 suburbs, we've still had a very decent proportion that have grown. When we look at last year, so 2020 to 2021, how we performed over that year, there was actually 31 suburbs that grew by more than 20%. This year, in the last year, 21 to 22, we've only had five suburbs that have performed by over 20% growth. So that's definitely showing a slowdown in the you know the number of suburbs that have achieved that really exceptional over 20%. There's a lot more suburbs in this last year than the previous year, 82 versus 52, that have done 5 to 10% growth. So that's where they've slowed down into. And interestingly enough, there's similar amounts in the other bands. So it's notable that there's almost an identical amount in both years that have done 10 to 15% growth, which is a very solid return. And there's, there's been 73 and 76 suburbs in each in last year and the year before that have done that 10 to 15% solid growth. So that's very encouraging. Now, if you looked at the median house price doing 2.6%, you'd think that virtually no suburbs have grown. But as I just recanted then, huge numbers have done very decent levels of growth. So when looking at the bottom four suburbs, now there was only four suburbs that did zero to minus 5%. And I went deeper to see, is this likely to reflect what's really happened? Is the median price on the money, basically? And the four suburbs that were in there was Maylands, South Yonderup, Mount Rishon, St. James and Shelley. And it was pretty interesting because I thought, yes, the median price is reflective of what these suburbs are doing. And when you look at each of them as well, they've performed very low over the last five years when all the others, many, many other areas have done very well. And when I compare the five-year performance with their 20-year growth performance and 30-year growth performance, where I've got the data, with the exception of South Yonder up, the others are representing really good value. And by my account, are very likely to revert to their mean and have some catch-up growth. 
So we'll have to see if that occurs in Maylands, Mount Rashon, St. James and Shelley. You look at the neighbouring areas, they do seem relatively undervalued. So representing some potentially good value for buying. And I guess we'll see how they go over the next year and whether that catch-up comes. Now, I took a bit of a look at how suburbs have been going with rental yield. I always prefer to chase capital growth, especially initially when you're trying to grow your capital base and chunk up your your worth, then suggest you move to income later. Some investors take the approach of income straight away at from the beginning that they might want to get out of their job sooner and have that, you know, passive cash flow sooner over to the to the sides to give them the options. And I wanted to paint a bit of a picture as to how the rental yields are going in Perth. So I looked at our top 10 suburbs for rental yield. And we have sitting at number 10, we've got a rental yield of 6.01% with Mandra. Then we've got Callista, Leda, and Aurelia that are in um, Quinana area. We've got Greenfields, Medina, which is down in Quinana as well, but Greenfields closer to Mandra. We've got Armadale being the fourth best rental yield, Parmelia being the third best rental yield, Camillo being the second best rental yield and Brookdale being the best rental yield at 6.91%. So there's 10 suburbs there between 6% and 6.91%, all with very solid rental yields that you'd foreseeably still be able to get a positive cash flow out of, even with uh, interest rates continuing to increase. Obviously depends on how much maintenance and other costs you have, but possible. Now, when I look at the top 10 suburbs that for rental yield, their median house prices are between 300 and 360, with most of them being around 330,000. Just to give you an idea of the sort of money you're going to need to get into them, mainly areas such as Mandra, Rockingham, and Armadale areas. And when we look at the breakdown of rental yields across the, all of the 230 suburbs that had 10 or more properties rented, there was the 10 suburbs with over 6% rental yield. There was 21 suburbs with 55 to 6% rental yield. There was 42 suburbs with 5 to 5.5% 5 .5 rental yield. 39 suburbs with 45 to 5% rental yield. And it goes down from there, but there's a, basically about 40 suburbs in each of the brackets. So quite evenly dispersed when you consider the where the rental yields are made up, how many are in each sort of bracket. And you compare that to other capitals and we're certainly looking very good uh, with where it's possible, to, it's possible to still achieve if rental yields your driving factor. And even if it isn't, it means that you can still dollar for dollar be buying a property that's going to give you more rent back and likely have better shorter term prospects for growth as well. Now, it's easy to see how some investors get lost in analysis paralysis using data to get trapped and, and unsure about what to do, and it can hold them up from taking action. So I like to break my suburb selection down into what I call my trifecta criteria. That's where we have an overlay and a criteria for the suburb, the area, and then the property we want all of them to stack up so that we don't have any major limiters for growth. Now, I use an evidence-based uh, approach. So if the suburbs performed across 30 years and 
got the same desirability factors, if they still exist, and it's still going to be a great suburb, attractive over the you know the next thirty years, then it makes sense to be choosing based on the history and the the proven evidence of where it has performed because it's likely to continue or at least more likely than throwing a dart at a board or chasing the the short term hotspot that grows now and doesn't still has still had very low historical growth and may not continue. Now I also like to look at how it's performed over the last two years and five years. And I prefer to be getting in at the beginning of its growth cycle where possible. So this is something I've overlaid over the top because it's especially more important when you want your your wins shorter term so that you can, you know, continue to recycle your equity out and get into other properties and it's especially important for our clients. So we really want to be looking at giving us the best chance for short-term growth by getting in earlier in the growth cycle for the suburb, not too late where it's done, you know, heaps over heaps of growth over the last two and five years, then there's not likely to be as much upside for you. So I then look at the specific areas within the suburb and they perform better than others. I'll calculate the specific growth on that property and have all the other criteria that go around it, suburb, area, and property to make up the trifecta. And then that way, you're going to be more guaranteed of, there's never any perfect guarantee, but it's as close as you're going to get. (laughs) So shorter-term statistics are also important because you can look at the days on market, you can look at the trend in sales volume, make sure it's still strong, and you can look at the vacancy rate to make sure it's still tight and that rental prices are going to have pressure on them to trend up. And you want to look at all those things just to make sure the short term lines up with the long term, and that's going to be a good confirmation that it's going to be a property that will serve you over both those time periods. So hopefully this was giving you a good insight into what's happening below the surface of the sale market and a bit of a feeling for the rental yields still on offer in Perth if rental yields your focus. And of course, if you are looking to choose a suburb, get in touch and uh, our buyer's info pack is very helpful for that. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you on the next one. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature as we don't know your specific situation. You should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group to be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Thank you.